morning. Good morning. Please pray with me. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of <clears throat> our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, hopefully you got to splash around a little bit yesterday in the rain and wash off some of the sweat of the previous week, as Pastor John mentioned. I love the heat, so I hope it's not far gone. We have a few more days left, I think. These are the days we um, kind of long for back in February. Do you remember that, when you could barely see over the snowbanks across to your neighbors across the street? So no complaining about the heat, right? Um, I greet you on behalf of Bishop Ann Svenningsen and my colleagues in the Synod office, and we want to thank you for your ministry uh, partnership and for your prayer support and for your financial mission support. That allows us to work with the 143 congregations that make up the whole Minneapolis area synod, which is basically the western half of the metro area. It allows us to uh, work with all those congregations in partnership to reach people with the life-giving grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm always honored to have Pastor John invite me to uh, hear God's word with you and be here in worship with you, and it's good to have you here today as well. Um, though I have to say, I wish there would have been a, a little bit friendlier of a gospel reading maybe to reflect upon with you, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the story of Mary and Martha uh, is certainly a well-known one, I think. How many of you have heard this story before? Sure, many of you have. Uh, it's been used throughout the centuries to contrast the behavior of two sisters uh, who found themselves in the presence of Jesus. And they kind of embody different ends of a spectrum, right? Uh, one is busyness, the other is faithfulness. Um, one is work, another is rest. One is being consumed by the present whereas the other is being concerned and open to the future. And at various times, each of us might uh, identify with one or the other of those sisters more closely. We can relate to Martha when we feel like we're the only one in the room trying to get something done, or we can relate to Mary when we feel like we need to put everything aside in order to listen for a new truth or insight coming our way. But there's also some interesting sibling dynamics going on here between them. Some might even say some petty sibling dynamics. Now, I was an only child, so sibling dynamics are kind of a foreign concept to me. It's been enlightening to uh, experience them as I've watched them play out between our two children, who are uh, now, as about a month ago, both teenagers, which I can hardly believe. Actually, I thought I might get some insight from them as I prepared to be with you today. Last weekend, we were out of town uh, at the lake, and we missed church last Sunday morning. So when we got back Sunday night, I asked my wife Lisa and our kids to read through this text, this Mary and Martha text with me, and talk about their impressions. I wish I could say that it was a lively conversation, but it was kind of slow to get going. My 13-year-old daughter, Nora, uh, said it totally didn't seem fair that Martha was doing all the work, but Mary was the one who Jesus praised. And that's a great point, right? And after a few more comments and a few more awkward moments of silence, my 15-year-old son, Evan, finally said, I don't really get this, and I don't even really know why it's in here. 
I mean, what's so important about Jesus talking to two sisters about housework? Okay, well, that's maybe a fair question. Evan was recently confirmed, so he had just spent three years in confirmation classes looking for great meaning in the stories of Jesus, the parables that Jesus told, the miraculous healings, the arguments that Jesus had with religious and civil authorities. But here Jesus is asked to intervene in a minor squabble over how the housework gets done and who's going to do it. I have to say there is a slight irony here in that Lisa and I sometimes feel like divine intervention is needed in our household when disagreements arise about housework, about whose turn it is to do dishes or clean the bathroom or help with the laundry, and when those tasks are to be completed. It's not only who, but when, right? And she and I are included in that. I'm sure some of you maybe can relate to that. I see some heads nodding. But ultimately, I realized that Evan's question was a good one. What's so important about Jesus talking about housework? Why is it here? There are a few ways we might get at that question. And in fact, scholars and theologians have interpreted this story in different ways, really, throughout the centuries. I want to share just a few of these interpretations this morning with you, and I'll do that in an order uh, that I find the least helpful to understand this to the most helpful so that we might understand what is going on with Jesus here. The first interpretation I'm going to just call the poo-poo perspective. Some have said that Jesus was just poo-pooing Martha and diminishing the significance of her work around the house. Even though she was providing hospitality to Jesus and Mary and serving them as guests in her home, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, why are you distracted by so many things? Some have even suggested that Martha should have been ashamed not to recognize it was time to put down the broom and the oven mitts for just a few minutes to pay more close attention to Jesus. So unaware was Martha that she had the audacity to ask Jesus to get her sister off the couch and come and help her out. Why was Martha such a whiner? So the interpretation goes. But that perspective seems to be a little bit misguided, I think, when we look at what has just happened before this story. As Pastor John referenced, we talked last week about the Good Samaritan, where the message is simply loving and serving the neighbor and sparing no expense in doing so, even if you don't know the neighbor. Loving the neighbor is the key. And right before that Good Samaritan story, was the story of Jesus sending out 70 disciples two by two and telling them to go only where they were invited and to receive the hospitality of the hosts in the homes where they went. Service to others is always a priority in the teachings of Jesus. And so in that Sunday night conversation last week, my wife Lisa asked quite rightly when we were discussing this text, why is Jesus kind of down on Martha's hospitality right after he had told the disciples to go and show gratitude to the hosts wherever they went and received hospitality. It doesn't seem to jive. It doesn't seem consistent. Well, another interpretation of the story is that Mary really is the only sister to be admired in the story. Mary immediately sensed the importance of Jesus' visit to Martha's house, and that was great. And she certainly sensed the importance of the moment, but do we need to shame Martha 
in order to elevate Mary? I don't think so. This either-or perspective doesn't take into account the importance of Christian hospitality at all times and in all places. Here at Mount Carmel, I know that you understand that importance. I'm reminded of it several times a week when I walk by here with my dog and read your sign that says, come to church on Sundays, we have cookies. <laughs> by the way, does anybody take you up on that still? I'm wondering about, that's a great tool of evangelism. But even more significantly, I think you understand hospitality uh, to, to those who may be more on the margins, providing interpretation for Spanish speakers and providing copies of sermons for the hard of hearing. That is true hospitality in the Christian sense. Now this either or perspective, either Mary or Martha, doesn't take into account the fact that while we need to spend time in contemplation and devotion to Jesus, we also need to put our faith in action through deeds of love and service to the neighbor. So let's shift this either or perspective from just Martha or just Mary, or even Martha and Mary together, to Jesus. This passage in Luke comes one chapter after the point in Jesus' ministry where he has set his face toward Jerusalem. This happened in chapter 9 when Jesus decided it was time to be done roaming throughout the countryside teaching and healing, and he needed to turn and set his GPS directly toward Jerusalem where he would face his ultimate fate where he would complete his mission, where he would become the savior that God had promised. So when we see how Jesus treated Martha in this story, which seemed a bit harsh maybe and uncaring, we might excuse him just a bit. You see, he was laser focused on what was lying ahead of him. And he wanted others to know that it was not, he was not going to be with them much longer. So they needed to hear his message like right now hear his message. And Mary understood this. While Martha had to be kind of shaken out of her state of busyness to hear that. But in this story, Jesus also blessed Mary and Martha with, with a new perspective, a new way of being, one that liberated each of them from some of the social norms and gender assumptions of that day. Actually, they were norms and assumptions that have persisted for about 2,000 years and have only recently started to change in significant ways. For example, back then, men were the ones who got to sit at the feet of Jesus to learn and absorb his teachings and his holiness. And then they would pass them on to others. But here, Mary is honored by Jesus as the one who is listening and learning. It's almost unheard of that a woman would have that kind of exclusive access to Jesus. This year, as we celebrate the 50th anniversary in the ELCA of women's ordination, it's good to know that all are welcome to, to listen and respond to God's call to ministry. Likewise, back then, women were the ones expected to provide hospitality, and it was usually to men. Here, Jesus liberates Martha from that strong cultural expectation by saying she should come and listen also to him. Thankfully, we now see men serving in the kitchens of our churches and in the Sunday school rooms with the kids. 
while women are serving on church councils and other positions of leadership, and I think that's progress, right? Well, I think it's helpful for us to step back for a moment and reflect on the times in our lives when we are open to the listening and leading of God's Spirit and feel really connected to God's presence. And then those other times when distraction and busyness dominate our thoughts and actions and we need to be shaken out of our preoccupations. Do you find yourself in one of those places or the other these days? Are you feeling like you're kind of in a divine flow right now, attuned to the promptings of God? Or do you feel distracted and perhaps overwhelmed by life's demands? I want to do something maybe a bit risky here, but I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Who feels like they really are in great flow with God, really attuned to the promptings of God's spirit? Any of you? A few hands kind of go like this. How about any of you feeling really distracted and totally not knowing what's coming the next moment or the next day? Wow, a few more decisive hands go up. Well, now I'm going to honor what I said earlier, that life isn't always a series of either-or choices. How many of you feel like you're sometimes locked into God, but also totally distracted, maybe on the same day? All right, there's a few more of you who reflect that. Well, that's probably not surprising. I mean, it's, it's easy to kind of characterize our culture as overly busy and distracted, because it is true. Recently, I came across a term that hits way too close to home for me, because I feel like it describes me. Linda Stone, who is a former Apple computer company executive, has identified a behavior that she calls continuous partial attention. Continuous partial attention. Kind of a self-explanatory term that she describes this way. Like so many things in small doses, continuous partial attention can be a very functional behavior However, in large doses, it contributes to a stressful lifestyle, to operating in crisis management mode, and to a compromised ability to reflect, to make decisions, and to think creatively. In a 24-7, always-on world, she says, continuous partial attention used as a dominant attention mode contributes to the feeling of being overwhelmed, overstimulation, and to a sense of being unfulfilled. We are so accessible, we become inaccessible. That's quite a statement. We are so accessible, we become inaccessible. For some people, busyness and this continuous partial attention is often a necessity to balance the demands of life, to meet basic needs, especially for those who are economically challenged. They need to be on all the time just for their survival. For others, this might be kind of an escape or a coping mechanism to deal with difficult situations. And for yet others who may have the luxury to choose their mode of operation, it may just be a way to numb or insulate themselves from the messiness and unpredictability of the world. Well, thankfully, Jesus offers a word of hope for the chronically busy Whatever the reasons for our distraction, Jesus wants us to know that the kingdom of God is near. The promise of God's love and grace 
and salvation is near. That is the promise that we received in our baptism. It's a promise that's not dependent upon how hard we work. It's a promise that's not dependent upon how holy we try to be. It's given to us as a free gift for us to access in both our working and in our worship. As common yet curious as this story about Mary and Martha can sometimes be, the good news is that Jesus shows us once again that he is with us in all things. And that is the one thing that can never be taken away from us. Thanks be to God. Amen.